It's me, Diesel, and it just filled my heart with joy to see that we still had fans from a movie that was made a while ago. And remember, don't go out there. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there, maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone, you can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We got some new T-shirts. Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, We love interacting with our fans. We love, you know, meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You're a big fan of our podcast, a big fan of our show. You want to help support us. That option is available. And we also have one-time donations if you want to donate and, you know, have a, if you have a film review you want us to do, that option is available as well. And we are back. I uh, just want to thank all our fans and listeners uh, for being patient with us, uh, not getting mad at us for skipping last week. Hurricane Idalia really threw a wrench in the plans for me personally. I, I work for uh, the electric and gas utility. So, uh, yeah, I was working a lot of hours. So I appreciate the fans' patience. Uh, but I'm excited to get back into reviewing these movies, these 31 picks. Uh, this week is Brother Dustin's pick. Uh, do you want to announce your pick, brother? Not really, but um, I went with <laughs> Children of the Corn, <laughs> the original Children of the Corn movie. Uh, you know, I, it was my idea to include this franchise in 31 on 31 rankings, and I'm sorry for that in advance. I had never seen them all. I didn't imagine that lows could reach so low, but they did. Um, but this movie, <laughs> speaking of this movie in particular, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the first horror movies that I can remember. Uh, I remember my dad watching it when I was a kid and it genuinely scared the fuck out of me because we lived in rural East Tennessee cornfields all around. Uh, and so I don't know why it scared me because if I understood the premise of the movie, I was safe. I was a kid, but it was still just creepy as shit as a kid. And, um, you know, it's one of those, uh, yeah, it's got its flaws, but I can still appreciate things about it. And so, I wanted to go ahead and knock it out. All right, I'll go next. I don't have a lot of good to say about it. I'm not a big fan at all. First time I watched it was a couple years ago over at the old lady's house. She fell asleep, and uh, I just stayed and toughed it out, thugged it out, and Lord have mercy, this movie is not my favorite. I can respect someone who does like it. I can understand a child seeing it and be terrified. But when you see it for the first time at 32 years of age or 31, whenever I saw it, uh, yeah, not a big fan personally. Hey, and I am uh, 
Also, very happy to be back this week. I wish I'd have picked a better movie to be back on, but here, here I am. Um, I actually do have a lot of a nostalgia for this movie as well, Dustin. I distinctly remember renting it multiple times from TNN Video when I was a kid and first really just kind of taking in all the horror movies I could. And yeah, I actually had pretty fond memories of the movie and some of its sequels, which back then were really only one through four, maybe, I think. And a lot of that had to do with me and my buddy Creel being such big Terminator 2 fans. And, you know, of course, Sarah Connor being in this, if I'm being honest. But yeah, this did not age well at all. Like, I, I did not like it all these years later. In retrospect, this adaption of King's short story isn't the best in the world. And, and I can speak, I can't speak for the remake. Uh, but I have heard better things, but I'll obviously be definitely watching that soon. I will say John Franklin, who played Isaac, I thought was great. Learning he was nearly 24 years old when he filmed this and suffered from growth hormone deficiency actually really makes a lot of sense because I was wondering why the hell he was so damn good as a child actor. Turns out, wasn't a child. Uh, you know, he was cousin it, by the way, in 90s Adams Family, too. Great. Love those movies. Uh, anyway, yeah, nostalgia or not, this really isn't very good, and nostalgia didn't really save it this time for me. You know, though, what they really missed on in the early 80s serial craze? Children of the Cornflakes. Come on, marketing. It was right there the entire oh, time. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm back, guys. <laughs> yeah. Our uh, Dustin is doing the scene by scene this week. Uh any more opening thoughts where you let him take over? Oh, I'll just comment on Mike being gone again. Uh, my man is just, he's like Pitbull. He's Mr. Worldwide in Alaska now. I mean, you can't hide the money in the Settle household. I mean, it, no. it's, it's out of this world. All right, Dustin, you want to take over? Yeah, let's go ahead. The movie opens with a creepy score, some children singing, and our credits and title card. Then we see a cornfield in a dilapidated car in a shed. So we don't waste any time settling the, or setting the tone of this town. Church bells sound, and we see that we're in Gatlin, Nebraska, three years ago. Churchgoers leave, and a child narrator named Job tells us that three years ago, he was the only kid in church that day, because all the other kids went to the cornfield with Isaac, but he couldn't go. After church, they go to a diner called Hanson. Sarah was at home sick with fever. The dad uses the payphone to call home and check on her. A creepy little bastard wearing a pilgrim hat looks menacingly through the diner window and nods at Malachi, who's playing pinball. Another kid locks the door, and suddenly, all the old folks in the diner start choking on their coffee. The youths in the diner, they start pulling out their knives and sl stabbing and slicing up the adults. They even put one unlucky fella's hand in the meat slicer. Blood splatters on Job, and he looks mortified as the other kids calmly leave. This was when Sarah's drawings began. Time for our opening credits, which are given to us over more creepy kids singing and some deranged crayon artwork. These kids need a school's counselor. Mr. Crayola didn't die for this. After the credits, we see some someone walking gingerly into a bedroom and opening a drawer while Bert lies sleeping in the bed. It's Vicky, and she's just grabbing a party blower, and she wishes him happy blow, uh, happy birthday. He said he wishes to live happily ever after and asks if that's a proposal. And he wisely says, no, don't do it, folks. Anyway, she gives him his present, and it's an engraved lighter. Then she turns on some loud music and starts singing and dancing. I'd throw something at her. Too early for all that shit. He says they've got a lot of driving to do today and goes to grab a shower first. We're in the car now, and Bert tells Vicky that he's nervous about this internship. They enter Nebraska, and we see cornfields as far as the eye can see. 
We see a group of kids on a farm now, and narrator Job tells us that they aren't the only ones who thought Isaac was weird. Joseph thought about running away and was scared. Job and Sarah want to run away too, but Joseph says he won't, ma- he won't make it with them and that he'll come back for them. He also warns about Isaac and Malachi finding out about Sarah's drawings. Crayons are forbidden. Sarah and Job promise not to tell anyone that Joseph's leaving, and they stand watch while he takes off through the corn. Bert and Vicky continue their journey through Nebraska and play some I Spy. It's corn. Imagine that. Vicky turns on the radio, and we hear some preaching condemning sexual immorality and drugs, which Vicky and Bert mock as they turn it off. Back to Joseph, and he's trying to get through the endless corn. He falls and seems to panic. We see a kid draw a knife, and then we see blood splatter on Joseph's suitcase. That's the first set of scenes. What'd you guys think? Um, okay, so the opening was interesting, you know, especially the credits. The choir of children and then the abrupt title card kind of made it feel a lot like an exorcist movie in that regard. I do feel like, though, that the soundtrack also throughout, I think, is one of the highlights of the movie. Uh, I want to give credit to Jonathan Elias, which sounds like a Children of the Corn name anyway, doesn't it? Elias came back for the 2009 made-for-TV remake, and he's also done Leprechaun 2, but more impressively, Watchmen. So I will comment that Robbie Kiger's Job doing the voiceover I thought was the wrong choice. Uh, It felt more like a movie like, I don't know, Beethoven or Little Rascals. I don't know. But I needed something more creepy. You know, an old man, uh, maybe one of these kids all grown up telling the story, maybe after surviving. I don't know. Either way, I don't think it worked for me. I will say, at first, I thought Job's dad was stepdad himself, Dylan Walsh, but alas, it was not. Alas, sorry. I've been watching Vikings. I may hit, I may hit you with the alas a lot during the, during the show. Honestly, though, I don't know what the big deal is with this whole diner slaughter here. Maybe I'm just desensitized, I guess. It seems just like a normal Friday night at the Milton Waffle House to me, but hey. Also, the kids need to check on that old lady in the booth. She was definitely still breathing. Terrible acting by that old lady. I don't feel bad. She's definitely dead by now. But speaking of looking like people, did Peter Horton's Bert not look like the bad guy from Ghost? Uh, you know, Tony Goldwyn, the the dude from Friday the Part 6 who who got out of the VW and, and, and his credit card came out of his wallet. Uh, the dude from Belco Experiment. Yeah, looked like him to me. I should have went with those two over Ghost probably. Look, sorry. I watched Ghost a lot as a kid for some weird reason. My parents loved that and Pretty Woman, so well, here we are. And look, Sarah Connor or not, I'm going to lose my shit if you wake me up with a fucking party blower in my ear and then dance like this. What the fuck is happening here? Come on. You could definitely tell that Linda Hamilton did that song herself, though. You recognize that menthol voice anywhere. She had a you know few packs a day there. Uh, a little fun fact here before I shut up. On the dashboard of Bert and Vicky's car is a copy of Night Shift the Stephen King short story collection in which Children of the Corn originally appeared. Um, And my favorite part of the set of scenes, make sure nobody's looking. Okay, nobody's looking! In like the loudest voice possible. I love it. Go ahead. (laughs) All right, starting this off positively, I like the title card and the score. It's really creepy. The scenery shots of the country make me think of my hometown, just like, you know, Dustin mentioned with East East Tennessee. Uh, It reminds me of uh, North Florida as well. And I couldn't help but think, my God, that strawberry milkshake, it looks delicious. I bet the food at this diner goes crazy, to be honest. The carnage in the diner is a good way to start the film off. Isaac looks menacing. I do have to say that the acting by most of the adults being killed is pretty meh. But it's not so bad that it takes me out of the movie. 
the drawings in the opening credits are super creepy and add a nice touch as the score plays. I agree with Brian. The score is really good. <laughs> I bet Quentin Tarantino loved the zoom in on Linda Hamilton's feet walking towards Bert. Welcome to Nebraska. I don't know if there's a state in this country I want to visit less than there. I say that with all due respect, of course. No offense to any listeners from there. Three years later, Job doesn't look much older than he did. Is, am I the only one who thought that? These dumbass kids yelling loud as possible and nobody's on lookout as Joseph tries to run away. Make it make sense, Sway. Joseph gets lost right. in the cream corn sauce and cut with a knife by, I assume, Malachi and his blade. The blood looks good, and so far, I don't hate the movie. Back to you, Dustin. Back to you. <laughs> so far. All right. Well, buckle up, folks. Back in the car. <laughs> Back in the car now. Bert and Vicky, they look at a map. They don't notice a kid in the middle of the road, and they plow that motherfucker over. Bert goes to check it out, and yeah, he's gone. It's Joseph. Bert tells Vicky to get back in the car and locks the door, unlock the doors until he gets back. He grabs a blanket to cover Joseph's body with and a tire iron. As Bert heads into the corn to look for clues, we see Malachi emerge with a hell of a knife in his hand. Bert finds Joseph's suitcase all covered in blood. Malachi approaches the car, and a napping Vicky doesn't even notice. She stupidly exits the vehicle, and even though she looks in all directions, she somehow doesn't see Malachi. As she apologizes to Joseph, he sits up from the dead and lunges for her. Just kidding. It's a dream. I don't know how she fell asleep so quickly, but she did it, and it gave us a false jump scare. Cool. Bert consoles her as she wakes up and then puts Joseph's carcass in the trunk. The couple drives off as Malachi watches from the corn, and I couldn't help but notice that the car didn't have a dent or scratch on it despite mowing a kid down. Boy, they don't make them like they used to. Narrator Job says that he and Sarah played at their old house a lot, despite Malachi saying it was forbidden. The brats argue over who will have all the money in the world when they grow up while playing Monopoly, and Job is a cheater. Boy, he just like me for real. As they, ha as they have a grand old time, Malachi interrupts by tossing his knife in the middle of the game board. Bert and Vicky talk about what happened with Joseph, and Bert tells her Joseph's throat was cut, and he was already dead when they hit him. Back to narrator Job, and he says Malachi took him and Sarah straight to Isaac. He says that up until now, they had been forgiven because they weren't in the corn when he who walks behind the rose made himself known. Malachi rats them, rats them out to Isaac about the forbidden game, the music, and gives Isaac uh, a drawing that Sarah made of a yellow car. It looks like Bert and Vicky's car. Isaac says that she has a gift, and holy fuck, when we hear his voice, it's unsettling. Malachi says that he's seen that car. Isaac says to go to the old man and take Sarah and Job back to where they were. Malachi is unhappy with the lack of punishment. Isaac says not to question him, and that he acts according to his will, meaning the walker behind the rose fella. Back to Bert and Vicky, they're heading to Gatlin. Bert convinces Vicky to open Joseph's suitcase. Bert turns on the radio, hoping to find the news, but just hears the same preaching from before. He turns it off because he's tired of it, but, you know, maybe he could have just tried another station. They never even touched the dials, just on and off. Oh, anyway. In the suitcase, they find a cross made of corn, and Vicky is a tough critic. Next, we see a man named Deal working, at a tr uh, working on a truck with his dog, Sarge, and Bert and Vicky pull up. Deal says it must be the third car this month. Bert asks to use the phone, and Dill says he doesn't have one. Dill tells him to go to Hemingford, which is about 19 miles away. There's nothing in Gatlin. They don't coddle outsiders and probably don't have a phone. After the couple drives off, we see someone open Dill's car door and grab a hammer. That's the next set of scenes. Go ahead. Man, all this corn. This is the scariest corn has been since Pearl was fucking that scarecrow in Pearl. Oh, scary mm -hmm. shit. 
So we run this kid over with our car, and my guy's idea was to stuff him in the trunk, never to be seen again. Like, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, what, what a great doctor he will turn out to be. But I will say the effects on this kid actually getting run over, holy shit. Like, props to Michael Winter and the production team on that one. You know, thanks, and we'll get into it more a little bit more later, but, uh, no more fun facts, but thanks to Stephen King and it being, you know, kind of his fault for the smaller budget. Not bad work for what they had to work with their money-wise. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah, Dustin, I agree. All this, and then the chick just gets in the car and fucking falls asleep. Like, who does she think she is? Candyman? Are we just taking naps? What the hell is going on here? Can you just like you'll never can, let him live that down? <laughs> can you just imagine that? Like, you killed a kid, went, got in the car, and then you just immediately fell asleep. Like, that's some epilepsy type shit right there. And why? Why would you be against opening the briefcase of the kid you just ran over? Like, I don't know. That plot point bothered me. It doesn't make any sense to me. And then, you know, turning back on the radio. Like, these people just, they just don't act like normal people to me. And I don't know if that's the way they're written, the way they acted, both. I don't know. Um, And something else that doesn't really make any sense to me is the mechanic. Like, so for three years, these kids have let him live. You know, we find out later it's for, I guess, oil and gas by one line that they said. Why? Like, they don't drive around anywhere. And then the kids kill him because he told all these told these people to leave. Like, what is happening? Why? I do love following Job and Sarah, though. Like, they're cute. I immediately felt felt a you know connection with them. I wish we would have explored that a little bit more in the movie. Uh, they were kind of in and out a little bit too quickly, you know, in the movie. And like I mentioned, John... Franklin's Isaac, you know, who, who I didn't mention earlier. Also, Courtney Gaines as Malachi are very good at being bad guys. Like not sure the reason why Malachi doesn't just beat the shit out of Isaac, like right from the beginning. I mean, I know he does later, but um, you know, just take his throne or whatever. Sorry. Another Vikings reference there. Sorry. All right. This kid, Joseph just appears out of nowhere in the road, like Randy Orton and gets Molly walked by Burt's car. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> And I have to wonder, what is Burt's plan here? And why is he suspicious there's something else going on? He has no inclination as of now. I think it was the, the slit throat that he found. That's why I took from that. Is that why? That's why he thought that. That's probably true. Uh, I like the shots of Malachi walking towards Vicky in the car. It's a genuine, it's genuinely scary looking and a terrifying situation. Joseph leap at Vicky jump scare. It got me a uh, good job. Fritz Kirsch. I thought it was a okay dream sequence. Job and Sarah are both some schemers in this monopoly game. They're going to be some shitty citizens when they grow up and pay taxes. The corn cross is very odd. Is that for protection or is that in honor of what's going on? Deal. He got the worst gas station in all of the United States of America. No gas, no phone, just a barking ass dog that doesn't listen to him. Uh, I don't have a lot here, Dustin. I thought it was an okay set of scenes, a little bit of action, but I'm still curious as to what's about to go down. All right. Let's find out. Bert and Vicky take the right fork towards Hemingford in the road, but after they do, we see a sign that says Gatlin is two miles away, even though the sign at the fork said three miles the other way. Back at Dill's, while he's inside the shop, the hood on his truck slams shut. He goes outside to check it out. Some crazy clouds roll in with some heavy wind. Dill says he never told him nothing. He swears. Dill gets the truck hood open and finds a bloody rag under the hood. It's Sarge's bandana. Dill says, you can't do this to me, and heads back to his shop. Inside the garage, we see someone grab a screwdriver while another hand raises holding a hay hook, and Malachi pulls his knife. Dill charges, but we don't see what happens. We just go back to Bert and Vicky. They're hauling ass on a dirt road through a cornfield. 
They find themselves right back at Dill Station, and Bert says they should have never listened to him, and they're heading to Gatlin now. As they drive off, we go back inside the station, and we see Dill's arm on the ground in a pool of blood. Next, we see the creepy bastard known as Isaac preaching in a field to a group of kids. He tells the kids that the Lord told him that Joseph left because he no longer worshipped him, and that the Lord commanded him to spill Joseph's blood and to take his life. He then says that two outsiders are coming, a man and a woman who are unbelievers, who will have great powers, even greater than the blue man, a poorly made scarecrow in a blue shirt that's been crucified on a corn cross. The kids in attendance chant, the blue man, the blue man. All right, that was weird. The kids chant, praise the Lord, and they're determined to sacrifice Bert and Vicky. Speaking of, the couple has now made it to Gatlin, and it's a ghost town. They head into Hanson's Cafe to look for a phone, and we see a kid hiding inside spying on them. There's also corn everywhere, the counters, the floor, much like I imagine Nebraska really is in real life. We see the kid who's inside grab a meat cleaver and a big-ass rat on the counter. The phone is dead, and some kids are looting the car outside, so they jump back in the car and chase after the little shits. Vicky says they should head to Hemingford, so Bert busts a Yui in the, in the middle of the road and heads out of town. But on the way, Bert sees a screen door close at a house and stops to check it out. No one answers when he knocks, so Bert just lets himself inside. Clearly, he's never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Never do that. Bert finds the phone, but the line is cut. They hear some rustling upstairs, and Bert just has to go check it out. He finds Sarah's drawings on the wall, but apparently they weren't creepy enough for him to get the idea. After Vicky scares the shit out of Bert by sp sneaking up on him, they hear music playing down the hall and burst into a room to find Sarah. Go ahead. All right, first of all, I think we can all agree hood latches are not worth a damn and can blow clothes during a bad fart. That's a great line there from Mr. <laughs> Deal. Uh, another fun fact here is that there was actually supposed to be a scene where he found the severed head of the dog under the hood of the truck instead of that bloody bandana and a scene that followed his death where Bert and Vicky go back to the service station only to find it overtaken with corn and his corpse uh, hidden under his truck. So it was also, that was also covered with corn. Um, and apparently he was holding up a corn crucifix. But alas, we got what we got, which was literally nothing. I mean, we got this huge fucking buildup, even got gladiator sounding music. We were about to get a fucking battle between this old man and this little shithead kids. And then we cut to driving in some more goddamn corn with some stimulating conversation. She says, just tell me where we are. We're in some fucking corn, Vicky. Like, shut the hell up. Jesus Christ, that was the most agitated I was watching the whole movie. <laughs> Sorry, I'll calm down. Now, we finally get to see Dustin's brother, John Franklin, as Isaac really doing some of his best work here, and he wins me over. I'm not five Again, feet taller than that motherfucker. Well, I mean, he, he's the one, he had a deficiency. You took all his, took all his height. But again, I, I had, I really had no idea he was really 25, and man, I was just amazed at the child acting at first. Still great job. Hasbula could never... Uh, sidebar, as many Whoa. times Whoa. <laughs> sidebar, as many times as I've ever watched this, I'll admit something. Every time I heard, he who walks behind the rose, I always thought it was rose, R-O-S-E, and not rose, like, you know, corn rose. I always thought Seal was about to bust out and sing a kiss from the rose on the grave or some shit. I don't know. Fuck it. Oh, Jesus. It makes, it makes so much more sense being, you know, R-O-W-S, but ah, whatever. Fuck me. Uh, and the, uh, the rest of this set of scenes is awful. Like Bert and Vicky BNE into this house. Like you mentioned, they know people are in there 
And seriously, it's got to be like five straight minutes of looking around the house and looking and looking some more and a jump scare from Vicky. Man, it's just fucking that pissed me off. Go ahead. Our deal is hilarious. Walk around in this mechanic suit. My man looks like he could fuck up some Hardy's breakfast. All right, now, children of the corn. The dog was annoying, but didn't deserve to be killed here. And I agree with you, Brian. They dragged this garage fight scene with Deal out for this long, and we don't even see the fight or kill scene. Seriously, I fucking hated that. Why are Bert and Vicky driving through the cornfield now? They've driven in a big circle back to Deal's garage, and the film has the nerve to show us his bloody hand on the ground. Fuck off, man. These kids are the biggest idiots in the world falling for Isaac's bullshit. John Franklin does do a decent job giving this sermon. I will give him credit for that. Bert and Vicky have made it to the ghost town Gatlin. Bro, why the fuck have they not just turned completely around and left? This is clearly an abnormal situation that's only getting weirder and weirder. I'm with Vicky. Get the fuck out of here. But Bert is a nitwit and is extremely frustrating. Creaking noise upstairs. Yeah. Let's go check it out instead of leave. Bert is an annoying ass character and I do not like him. This jump scare with Vicky is horrible. This is an extremely frustrating set of scenes and this is where the movie starts to lose me. All right, now the fun starts Starts with Nico. <laughs> Bert and Vicky tell Sarah they don't mean to scare her and ask her where her parents are. She says they're in the cornfield with all the grown-ups. They're not working, though. Isaac put them there. Isaac is the leader of everybody. They want to go see Isaac, but Sarah says no, he's scary. Bert says he's going to town hall. He leaves Vicky the car and tells her to honk if anything is wrong. Vicky tried to bond with Sarah, but she's not having it. Sarah says she's not supposed to draw because Malachi says so. Sarah goes to work uh, on her next masterpiece at the request of Vicky, and Bert makes it back into town. The school is a mess inside. Back at Sarah's house, a group of juvenile delinquents have gathered outside with weapons led by Malachi. The kids make their way inside the windows. In town, Job is spying on Bert, who is just taking a sweet-ass time on a tour of all the sites, despite him saying earlier that things aren't moving fast enough for him. Okay, pal. Sarah shows Vicky her drawing and says it's her. Vicky is confused and concerned, and we hear a floor creak outside the room. Vicky goes to check it out and see if it's Bert. It's not, though, as she's lollygagging. And he's still lollygagging in town. It's Malachi. He wants to give Vicky peace. Vicky takes off and locks herself in the room with Sarah. An axe crashes through the door, and as she's leaned up against it in a very Shining-esque manner, and the kids force entry. They grab Vicky and take her. As Bert is looking at some artwork, he suddenly remembers that he has a woman he's supposed to be protecting and runs back to the house. He kicks in the door and asks Sarah what happened and where Vicky is. That's what I got on the next one. Go ahead. Look, this conversation between Vicky and Sarah should have went. What's your name? Sarah? Yes, I know. I'm you from the future and I've come back to save you from the Terminator kids of the corn sent back from the future to kill you. Bam. Movie is so much better. Better twist from than from Dust Till Dawn. Twist his dick. Anyway, he does need his dick twisted because he just leaves Vicky again, which I'm surprised she didn't just fucking go to sleep. Goddamn epilepsy just creeps up on you. But he leaves her to go to town hall, which at this point, it starts to actually pick up a little bit for me. I really liked the kids and them trying to, quote, seize her. But why the fuck are we cutting back and forth to the fucking dragon drawing in the school or wherever Bert is? We're fucking interrupting this tense chase scene for that. Terrible choice I felt from Fritz Kirsch. It killed that whole thing. But some funny shit, though, 
is Bert getting back to the house. And I don't know how long he was gone, but these kids were like, fuck this car. Somebody put some corn in it, will you? And why did Bert lock the front door to begin with? Like he's got a damn key or something. Obviously the kids just walked right in. What did they do? Lock it back on their way out. I don't know, bro, this movie right now. And we realize that there's still a dead kid in the trunk of that car, right? Like, I mean, we haven't forgotten about that, have we? Go ahead, Nico. I don't have a lot here either, Brian. Vicky asking, are we safe? I don't know why, but it made me chuckle. Of course you aren't, bitch. I'm getting so frustrated at this point. Get the hell out of this town. It's abandoned. You've only seen these weird kids. There are no adults around. Why are you still here? Yes, let's drag these scenes on and on with the kids creeping on Bert and Vicky as long as possible. The production company must have been told it was mandatory to hit the one and a half hour quota or else. I respect Vicky's bravery here, not being scared of the cult kids. But we do get a very meh nod to the shining with the axe through the door and an even worse lamp throw by Vicky. And when I wrote those notes down, Dustin, it instantly made me think of our Halloween uh, H2O review when you were talking about Jamie Lee Curtis throwing the, the knives at Michael. <laughs> and, and he thought it was James Blackman. <laughs> But anywho, uh, this set of scenes is extremely drug out and frustrating. And honestly, I'm ready to just get this over with. All right. We're back in a cornfield now. And a group of kids look over Vicky, who's on the ground with black eyes and a crown of corn shucks. Isaac says that he is displeased with Malachi for sacrificing Joseph without an offering and spilling the blood of the old man when his oil was still of use to them. Malachi says they have their own fuel from the corn now. But Isaac says it's not enough. Malachi says they should sacrifice Sarah and Job, but Isaac says Sarah has the gift of sight and to not question him. Back at the house, Bert finally gets Sarah to talk. She says Malachi. Bert finds the drawing that she made of Vicky and heads outside. At the edge of the cornfield, suddenly the corn parts like it's the Red Sea and he's Moses. He hears the church bells and takes off running. Back to Vicky, and the little shits are jousting her up on a corn cross, and the crowd kids, uh, crowd of kids are yelling, kill, kill, kill. Inside the church, we see a guy named Amos carve a pentagram in his chest and collect the blood in a bowl made of corn. Bert bursts into the church just in time to see a girl named Rachel say that they will share the blood, and she goes to take a sip. Bert stops her, and we find out it's Amos's birthday. Rachel says no one to speak to him, and they're just following as it's written. She sends a kid to get Malachi. Bert asks if they're rewriting the whole Bible or just the parts that suit their needs. He finds a ledger of names and dates and realizes everyone on it died young. Amos says not die, but go to he who walks behind the rose at the beginning of their 19th year. A kid yells that Malachi is coming and Rachel stabs Bert in the chest. Bert pulls out the knife and uses it to fend off the kids and run out of the church. All the kids are chasing after Bert at Rachel's order. Bert pulls a classic dumbass move and trips and falls, but he's able to get up just before they catch up to him. In the middle of the street, a group of kids surround Bert but he's able to escape again and make a run for it. He ducks inside a building for sanctuary, but Malachi comes inside too. He's able to kneecap Malachi and put him on the ground, but then the dumbass walks right into a pole uh, face first. He does make it outside though, finally, and Joe pops out of a building and tells him he knows a place to hide. They go into a storm cellar and they find Sarah. Their parents built this place to hide from communists. Job tells Bert who who Isaac and Malachi are, and that they never liked them. Back in the cornfield, and Isaac says that they must sacrifice them both tonight. There's trouble in paradise, though, as Malachi is questioning Isaac's leadership and even throws him to the ground and pulls his blade. He says Isaac has lost his favor. Isaac orders the others to seize Malachi, but Malachi says they're tired of Isaac's talk 
and he orders them to cut Vicky down and put Isaac in her place. Sarah bandages his bird up, and honestly, he's a little too calm and relaxed about not knowing where Vicky is. Sis has to leave him if they make it through all this. In the streets now, Malachi yells for Bert to come out and holds Vicky hostage to entice him. Job says that he knows where Vicky is, and Bert says to show him, and they head out of the cellar. Go ahead. Look, I'm just going to say it too. Sarah Connor being tied to this corn cross thing immediately gave me PTSD for Midsummer. Man, fuck that movie. But the children chanting kill, 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 kill was pretty awesome. I will say, I will say that. What wasn't awesome though is how in real life Bert would have beat the shit out of some of these kids in that church. And even if he doesn't, he clear he definitely is going down after being stabbed in his damn chest like that. Clearly under his chest, through his ribs. No way he's running off with, by the way, no blood on his shirt, by the way, at all while he's running until he gets to the street. And when the blood does show up, yeah, that's not where he got stabbed. I rewound it. You're busted. And is it just me with Isaac here in the set of scenes being grabbed by the other kids? And when he's up on the cross, start of the next scenes, dude, sounds like Eric Cartman. Now you can never unhear that. <laughs> uh, n- nothing much else for me on this episode. All right, my man Malachi got these folks whipped. It's impressive how much control he has on them. I don't think Vicky is acting distressed enough considering the situation she's in. And holy shit, man, these kids' constant chants are starting to drive me up a wall. I do appreciate Bert calling the kids out on their outlandish beliefs. This is hilarious. Bert gets a pretty deep stab in the chest and acts like nothing's wrong. So me and Brian agree 100% on here. Running full speed, barely bleeding. Then these dumbass kids get him circled and he manages to escape. This cult is so unserious. Bert commits one of the most annoying horror tropes here as he gets a free hit on Malachi. And instead of killing him, he runs off. And not even a smooth runoff. Dummy runs into a wooden support beam, hurting himself that way more than the stab did. I'm so annoyed right now with fucking Bert. Sorry, Joe, but I find it hard to believe no one knows about this bunker. This is a ghost town, and the cellar door is right there in the open. Yai. Isaac is overtaken as leader, and the only thing I can think of is this, coll- is this is collectively the ugliest group of people I've ever seen. More repetitive screaming. This movie is annoying as hell. I can't hear someone talking across the room, but Malachi thinks Bert will hear his screams from all over town. This is another set of scenes where I'm checking the time lift, just ready to get this over with. I'm so sorry, Dustin. I love you. Yeah, well, it's time for the ending. Back in the <laughs> cornfield. <laughs> Back in the cornfield now, Amos and the church crew head to Malachi, and Amos says he's ready to celebrate his birthday. Malachi tells him he has great news. Isaac will be keeping him company. Isaac is pitching an absolute bitch fit up on that corn cross. Job and Sarah and Bert run through town and make it to a barn. From the hayloft, they can see the bad kids burning fires in circles around the corn crosses. It's nighttime now. That happened fast as fuck. Bert is approaching the kids. We hear some grumblings in the distance, and Amos says it's him. He's come to welcome him. As he yells that he's ready, we see some crazy moments in the dirt. Looks like when Taz would travel underground in Looney Tunes. Isaac is pleasing his case, or pleading his case, rather, and we see some of the worst CGI you'll ever see. Some yellow something climbs up the corn stalk and turns red as it covers Isaac. He screams, and then his corn cross is blown out of the ground. Bert runs in and nails Malachi, freeing Vicky. He questions the kid's beliefs and says that he, it's not God telling him to kill adults. Religion has to have love and compassion. His speech is broken up by Malachi tackling him, though, and they fight for a while. Bert mounts Malachi, pause, and bitch slaps him back to Bangkok. He chucks the knife on the ground next to Malachi and walks away. 
Malachi yells to go get him, but the kids don't obey. Then we hear the voice of what I can only assume is Satan after smoking a carton of Newports, and we see Isaac's creepy ass reemerge, looking like a kid dressing as a zombie on Halloween. He says that he wants Malachi too. Isaac grabs Malachi by the throat, and the other kids skedaddle. Bert finds Vicky and the kids in the barn, and then the wind and thunder have really picked up. Sarah says it's he who walks behind the rose. Job tells Bert that the blue man had tried to confront the monster before and was reading from the Bible about the lake of fire. He was going to burn the field, but Malachi stopped him. They hook up a hose to the stills, and Bert takes it to the field. As he's trying to start the fire, the corn comes alive and wraps around him, pinning him to the ground. Job comes to help get him free, and Bert's not grateful at all, dick. But he does rely on him to help him with the cranking the ir irrigation pumps, which are dousing the fields with fuel. Then some more of the worst CGI of all time happens when some orange clouds roll into the black sky. Bert tosses a Molotov co cocktail, but misses the corn. Job hauls ass and grabs it and outruns Taz, the Taz-like underground monster thing, and Bert gets a second chance. This time he successfully ignites the field. Job and Bert re reunite with Sarah and Vicky at the barn, and the fire causes an explosion with even more terrible CG. The explosion looked awful and had a screaming face in it. Yeah. Anyway, the group gets back to the car, which has been destroyed, and decides to walk to Hemingford. They decide that Sarah and Job can go with them, I guess deciding, fuck those other orphan kids. Bert gets inside the kid, the car to grab... Whoa. Bert gets inside the kid. <laughs> hey, That's my bad. That was crazy. That was crazy. Bert gets inside the car to grab the map. And Rachel pops up in the back seat with a sickle. She says he must die. And Bert gets out and Vicky slams the door on Rachel's head, knocking her out. She says they'll send her a get well card from Seattle. As the group walks away, our credits roll. And that's the movie. I know you guys loved it. What'd you think? Man, you reading that ending sounded way cooler than the actual <laughs> movie was. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it kind of stinks. Like, I don't know what it is with Stephen King movies and their endings. I don't know if King's cocaine bender has run its course by the end here. But this one definitely struggled to hit the landing. That and, you know, insert random unexplained kid with some unexplained psychic abilities from Stephen King movie here. Also, William Shatner thinks this fight scene with Bert and Malachi was really good. All those 1970s Star Trek fist throws that don't come anywhere close to him, I thought was hilarious. Had to get my nerd in there. And I don't know, Isaac being possessed with that voice coming out of him is pretty much the best part of this ending. I actually really like that. The rest is just really bad to me, including that whole Jabba the Hutt face and that really bad-looking cloud that you mentioned. Uh, actually... Originally, after He Who Walks Behind the Rose, R-O-W-S, was destroyed, the cornfield was supposed to turn black and rot away as Bert and Vicky ran for safety. This was dropped when they realized they wouldn't be able to do such a scene with the remaining budget they had. Linda Hamilton was very disappointed by this, as that imagery was one of the main things that supposedly sold her on the film. Um, I don't know. The fart line from the open, that would have sold me if I was doing it, but... Uh, I hated this ending ending, like the 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 real ending uh, with them just walking back to the car, which still has a fucking dead body in the trunk, by the way. The final scene with Bert and Vicky actually 
returning to the car and being attacked by Rachel wasn't in the script. It was added shortly before filming rap for one last scare. And fun fact, Linda Hamilton complained to the producer that it made no sense for them to go back to the car and made the characters look stupid to which producer Donald P. Borchers, that's his fault, replied, we want the audience to think you're stupid. Oh, well, you know what you could have done? You could have it could have been the fucking dead kid come back to life and attack them out of the... I'm pissed about this fucking kid in this trunk. Why did we just put him in the trunk and that was it? That was the end of the movie. God damn, go, Nico. <laughs> My man is passionate over here. Our Isaac is hilarious at this point, yelling his lines at us from the corn cross. And I can't believe I just said corn cross in a serious way, but here we are. That boy Isaac is looking shook on the cross as he who walks behind the rose in tremors form gets to him. Question, who has a worse scream, Isaac or Jesse from Nightmare 2? And my God, how awful were those effects on Isaac? Bert is outnumbered again and they won't attack him. This is the most confusing cult I've ever seen. And like Brian mentioned with the uh, William Shatner slaps, I'm crying laughing at this point. Watching Bert slap Malachi like he is, it's it's fucking hilarious. Uh, I disagree with Brian, though, on this. Zombie Isaac and his demon voice, I think it's hysterical. It's not, I don't find it scary at all or good. I just thought it was funny. Job has all the juice on how to stop this monster, but waits until now to tell Bert. Why not tell him all this shit beforehand? I thought the writing was kind of poor. All the cult kids are all listening to Bert now. These kids don't stand for shit, man. They just go with whatever the flow is at the moment, huh? Bert is attacked by corn stalks now. I can't take this serious at all. Bert is a dickhead to Job who saves his life. Good for Job calling him out on it. Bert is useless as hell. Has to have Job twist the valve, teach him how to crank the machine, does a piss poor job of throwing the Molotov cocktail. Job is the final guy of this movie, by God. I will compliment the film, saying the explosion looks great until the demon face appears in it. Ugh. LOL at Bert being strong enough to walk 19 miles after all the bullshit he's been through today. Come on, writers, please make this believable, even a little bit. In abrupt, the end, after one last unnecessary jump scare. All I can do now is thank he who walks behind the rose. This is over. Like Seal or the other rose? No, R-O-W-S. <laughs> R-O-S-E. What the fuck, man? <laughs> it's from a rose on the... That's a good song, though. Anywho, uh, y'all got any final thoughts for just jumping to social media? We'll jump over to we'll, uh, do Twitter first. Uh Kevin Scanlon, teammate of the show, oof, this movie is not very good at all. Really not looking forward to watching the rest of the series for 31 on 31. Oh, okay, goddamn. Yeah, it's okay, man. You don't watch most of the movies we review, so it's okay. Justin <laughs> mm. is super angry about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mookie commented, peak children of the corn franchise. This franchise is not good. God damn. Come on, you come on, kicking it while you're down. And Hernandez Gunn replied with a, a video clip. This movie, trash. Damn. All right, holy shit, man. This is rough out here in these Children <laughs> of the Corn Rows. R-O-W-S. I also remember to Facebook now. Joey Keen commented, a film I enjoyed as a kid and an adult. Definitely some suspension of disbelief required with the lack of aging with the kids and a mass slaughter of an entire town going unnoticed. You just kind of have to accept it for the overall concept that it is rather than looking to get all of your questions answered. Because they won't be. And believe me, I have a long list. It really feels made for TV. But with that said, the feeling of being totally cut off from outside world always felt very real to me and scared the hell out of me as a kid. Oh, and keep up the good work, guys. Hey, we appreciate the nice words. Appreciate that means a that. lot. Abby Renee commented, one of the first horror movies I showed my kids. 
Probably because I call them children of the corn, haha. Not sure it holds up as much as an adult, but it's still a quirky watch when you need some background noise. Plus, I can never say the name Malachi like a normal person with a laughing emoji. <laughs> Kevin Potoff. Well, it was great when I was a kid, <laughs> but sucks as an adult. There you go. See, there you go, Kevin. All right, let's knock out Instagram now. We'll be done with social media. Jesse Craft commented, loved this one when I was a kid, but when I watch it now, I'm just bored. Still love the opening diner scene. I agree. I think the dining scene is good. Danny Cnaps, first of all, congratulations to her. She got engaged this week. Happy for her. Iconic. Can't wait for the review with the hands up emoji. Optional 13th Ghost. While the diner scene is iconic, the rest of this movie doesn't quite keep anywhere close to that same momentum. I will say, though, seeing a pre-Terminator of fame, Linda Hamilton was kind of cool. And I blame her poor performance on the writing. Okay. Jen and Juice commented, excellent pick, fellas, with the Italian, whatever that emoji's called. Missy Just Hudson. Kiss. Shit. Fuck. Well, I don't know why I couldn't think of that shit. God damn. Our Missy Hudson <laughs> wall comment, random comment. When I was in college, there was this redheaded guy everyone called Malachi. No clue to his name, what his real name was. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. He's Malachi. All right. My buddy, uh, Jeff, the Cameroon, he commented, I thought the new one was decent, in my opinion. A lot better than the multiple unnecessary sequels. I haven't seen the remake yet, but uh, I'll be checking it out. As someone who painstakingly watched them all, I got to agree. The last one was better than most of the ones in this shit franchise. (laughs) All right. And the last comment is from Nico Chen. Love you, Dustin. This movie and franchise stinks. (laughs) Hey, that's crazy. One just came in from Dustin at DM Frank underscore said, go fuck yourself, Nico. (laughs) That was crazy. Oh, wow. I didn't see that one. That's crazy. Oh, damn it. It's in my drafts. Don't worry. All right, y'all got fun three. facts. Y'all can go ahead. I got a, I got three. Uh, I Courtney got... Gaines won the role of uh, Malachi by using a prop knife to hold a casting assistant hostage at the audition. He claims that one of his great honors of his career is having hundreds of people, even his son's friends, recognize him as Malachi and confess they found him terrifying. Some have admitted his performance gave him nightmares. Apparently, even his own parents were greatly unnerved by him in this film. All right. I thought he was good. In the original theatrical trailer, Stephen King's name is misspelled as S-T-E-V-E-N. Ha ha ha. The film's budget was originally $1.3 million, which, damn, 1984? That's Mike Settle money right there. But according to director Fritz Kirsch, shortly before filming began, Stephen King demanded more money in advance or wouldn't let the studio use his name in marketing, so they were forced to give King $500,000 thus reducing the budget to a mere 800k. This ultimately led to numerous scenes being altered or scrapped altogether as the crew no longer had the money to pay for them. Kirsch believed that this was King's way of getting revenge for his script being rejected, which, you know, would come back to bite King as the film became one of the most profitable films based on his work thanks to the small budget. Years later, upon learning of King's notorious drug addiction that he struggled with throughout most of the 1980s, Kirsch wondered if King simply needed more drug money. Boom. I think you hit it around the head there, Kirsch. Go ahead, Dustin. All right, I got a few. Uh, The tagline for the movie is, And a child shall lead them. Uh, This is from Isaiah 11.6 in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, This movie spawned more sequels than any other Stephen King movie, somehow, unnecessarily. And then last one I have is uh, Stephen King's original script was deemed unusable by studio executives. The entire first act was just Bert and Vicky arguing in a car. The original script did contain more backstory for Isaac and the child cult, though, which I personally would have liked. 
But Vicky and Bert were both killed in the end, and the studio didn't feel King understood the difference of writing a novel versus writing a script yet. And I do have the budget, too, since uh, Mike is five time zones away. Um, budget was $800,000, like you mentioned, Brian, was supposed to be more, but Stephen King kind of had their nuts in advice. Uh, with that 800000 budget, though, they ended up grossing $14,568,989 worldwide. So with that kind of return on investment, yeah, I can understand why they made some, uh, you know, at least one sequel. But my God, they suck after this, after this one. <laughs> All right, guys, that was our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. I'll kick us off. Favorite kill. I'm gonna go with the uh, the dad in the opening diner scene who gets uh, killed with the what did you call it? The hay uh, sickle. The hay, the hay sickle. Hook. Hay hook. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Hey, hook. least favorite kill. Lord have mercy, what? He who walks behind the rose, you can pick that one. Isaac, the terrible effects. Either one of those, they both look terrible. Uh, I think I made myself. Uh, I think I made my opinion pretty well made known. Not a big fan of this movie. I do think the opening scene is good. The score is good, like Brian mentioned as well. Uh, it's an interesting concept that could be good, but it was just not executed well at all. The movie drags to me. It's just it's, it's just a snooze fest and the really bad graphics at the end and the bad ending. I'm just not a fan of this movie. And, uh, sorry, Dustin, but I gave the movie four minus two, which is two. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Love you. Um, my favorite kill. I went with Joseph cause that motherfucker got plowed by that car and it was awesome. Um, Big fan of kids getting ran over in movies. I don't know. The little oh boy God. in that cemetery. This one's just good <laughs> shit. So fucked uh, up. <laughs> man, fucking kids. Uh, least favorite area. kill. I went with Deal because it was off screen completely. And then they like kind of slapped us in the face by showing us his severed arms. Like, nah, man, like show, show more. Whatever. But as for my rating, look, outside of the god awful CGI, I think it's a fine movie. It's not great, but it's an interesting premise. I don't think it's terribly acted, honestly, considering the the budget that they had and the, and the names that you or the lack thereof in the in the cast. There's nostalgia for me, though. This movie really freaked me out as a kid, so maybe that's why I like it as much as I do. Um, regardless of how you feel, I think we can all agree we've definitely watched and reviewed worse on this show. Maybe Nico doesn't think much worse, but we have. I gave it a six. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to watching the remake. Like like Evil Dead, I, I think this is definitely one that needs a remake. Um, oh, my favorite kill, though, is Malachi. Uh, my least favorite kill, the mechanic deal. I agree, that buildup and then... Pfft. But, uh, you know, as Dustin mentioned, like, this movie has sparked a fucking trove of direct-to-shit. Well, every damn thing from direct-to-VHS, direct-to-DVD, TV, and now direct-to-fucking-streaming. All I know is now I have to watch all of these. and whew. But as far as my rating, uh, nostalgia can't really save this one for me. Although, I still think Children of the Cornflakes is a great idea. I'm going to give it a four. Four. All right. So, the, God dang, son. Give us a composite score of a four. <laughs> pretty good it's pretty good it's yeah, yeah yeah it's real good <laughs> what, mike what is i what is i send, send us your score retroactively and make it at least a six so we can pull this <laughs> shit up son this is disrespectful uh let me look i didn't i don't even remember i think imdb has it at like a 5.6 let me look i don't remember 
It is. They've got yeah, five point six. So nice. We're under by a point and a half, guys. Let's get our we're shit not together. That far. It's not that far. It's close. <laughs> Mike score will bring it up. Nah. He's in Alaska. He don't even know what's going on right now. He's spending so much money. Long way. They can't go grow corn. You know, it's two things. You can't grow corn on Rocky Top. Dirt's too rocky by far, and you can't grow corn in Alaska because it's too fucking cold. Yeah, so, corn. That? Any any final thoughts on the movie before I just shout out our blood donors? And uh, <laughs> Brian can announce his pick for next week. All right, let's shout out our blood donors. We got a new final girl donor, Christina Tower. Really appreciate that. Our camper level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, Trisha, and Kelsey Miller. Our camp council reoccurring are Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davidson, a Too Close to Home Pod, Kyla Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Karen, and Matt Strickland. Really appreciate all of our blood donors. Uh, if you want to become a blood donor, just check out our website. All that money just goes directly back into the podcast, and it really takes a big burden off of Absolutely. us. Uh, final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? Yeah, one more thing. I just wanted to say, uh, while I was reading the scene by scene tonight, you may have noticed that I did in fact I made the joke last week, but I did in fact sound like Floyd Mayweather trying to read the cat in the hat. These guys could tell you I had to get a new phone. My phone just decided the screen wanted to work part of the time, part of the time it didn't. And so there's a ton of autocorrects and just typos that I was having trouble making sense of what I was reading as I was writing. So I'm turning By the, the reins back I over edit to Nico. This thing, man, they're not even know what you're talking about right now. Hell, I didn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> Hey, all I know is I'll donate $700,000 to any charity if you read one page from a cat in the hat book. And oh, Nico's Brian, got it, your, too. And, uh, no, no, I don't. That's why I'm here, not in Alaska. All right, Brian, announce your pick for next week, then we'll get out uh, yeah, of here. Yeah, so this is not my favorite Purge movie. My favorite Purge movie is actually the one Dustin's picking. But I wanted to go in order since we did the first one, and uh, I picked Purge 2, Anarchy. Uh, it kind of you know opens the world up a little bit so we can kind of see more of what's going on in the uh, United States at that time. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, not my favorite one, but like I said, I wanted to go in order. Hey, nothing wrong with that. We know, we know Brian is the old continuity in, uh, in order kind of guy. And I respect that. Anywho, uh, just want to thank all our fans and listeners one more time. Uh, appreciate your patience for last week and, uh, you know, from redoing the episode, don't breathe, uh, taking a week off. It was, it's been a hell of a, past couple of weeks appreciate y'all support and y'all have a good one flags just want to remind everybody oh, yeah.